0: Real news. Welcome everyone to the Tory Says show. I'm your host, Tory. Today is September 20th. It's Friday. It's 2019. And Area 51 storm is a bust. Looks like we're not going to let the aliens out of the gate. Um, actually, two people were already arrested. Um, I actually find it funny that so many people turned up. Uh, you know, and I and I'm ready with my memes. Um There are people that were holding signs saying "Save ET from the government." <laughs> um, yeah, because smarter ETs need saving. Uh, you know, they're all out there in their booty shorts, getting uh, high and standing by the gate. I mean, I wonder, like, what they were thinking? Did they actually think that they would go in? I mean, yeah, numbers are a big deal, but Um, would they actually succeed? I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just really weird. Uh, so um, this is kind of like a, not Woodstock, but alien stock. Uh, so it's, it's pretty hilarious to watch. Um, I mean, I I really don't know what to say, you guys. I really don't know what to say. Uh, (sighs) I don't know what I expected, to be honest with you. Now, today we have a lot to talk about. I want to talk about um, Horowitz's testimony. I want to talk about the Taliban and how it seems really funny how this mainstream media always gets exclusive interviews with these people. Remember, it was ABC that got an interview with Osama bin Laden, even though he was the most wanted man on the planet, and you would think if our government wanted him so bad, someone would have been tailing this reporter to find him. But anyway, I digress. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Muslim Brotherhood. We're going to talk about something I said. And I wrote up an article on September 6th after interviewing a bunch of people. And I was hoping to have it up pretty quickly, but... I thought, let me let the FBI do a little bit of work and maybe the news come out that he is a jihadi rather than publish it. And a lot of people be like, no, 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 you should have put it because it would have been a scoop. And I'm thinking, yeah, it would have been a scoop. But I don't need validation that uh, my predictions are on point. Jussie Smollett speaks for itself. I talked about Cory Booker. I talked about Kamala Harris. I also talked about Michael Avenatti and Don Lemon. Um, you know, and Michael Avenatti has been kind of excluded from this conversation. I think he's um, in that bucket of and others. So we're going to talk about Jesse Smollett and, um, you know, this, um, you know, the shenanigans that are going to be coming forward. Um, but first, I wanted to talk quickly just mentioning Ilhan Omar. So she deleted a tweet that, um, was from 2013 that stated, uh, you know, happy father's day to her dad. And, uh, the tweet itself, uh, showed his name to be Nur said. And, you know, she's like, she gave this lame excuse saying, Oh, it's, it feels, it's like it means light or something like that. And, you know, it's nothing there. But like I've said before, because I know a lot of people are like, well, these people expose this. This I'm telling you, her name isn't even Nur Said. Ilhan Abdullahi Omar is not a Nur Said family member. She's not anywhere close to that. Her family legit has the highest leaders of Al-Shabaab in Somalia. People are still not getting it. I mean, I'm spelling it out. I'm saying it. She came here as an adult, not a minor. She not only falsified her name, but she falsified her date of birth. Okay. I'm trying to make that as clear as possible. And anyone out there claiming, oh, she's having an affair. And that's why she's split with her husband. No, it's not. They're under investigation, man. They are apart because he doesn't want to get in trouble. She's getting deported. Done. Deported. And people, what? Deported? That's like, so what, you're sending her back? Yeah, because she entered our country back in the day under false name and pretense. She knowingly did that. She was a minor and obtained aid and underwent programs for minor refugees when she wasn't a minor she also committed immigration fraud and tax fraud and there's so much more i have to ask yourself why is qatar and turkey bowing down to omar no one is even mentioning this and it's kind of like this is insane when do you have a state senator that has the foreign minister and president of another country on speed dial never so i've also said that in somalia the names they have three names so it's the name they give you your daddy's name and granddad's name right so in the case of ilhan omar it would be ilhan abdullahi daddy omar granddad So if people actually look at the real name, they can actually find her real family. And, you know, I wrote an article that is already published where I am demonstrating someone who said who used to live in Minnesota, who was a refugee themselves, who claims that they have a sibling in the U.S. government and they are already, already planned for the Hisra. So, his picture is there. Oh, what a, what a coincidence. His dad's name is Abdullahi too. Pretty weird, right? And kinda looks like Omar. And is on the most wanted list. And went to Syria. And he's their head recruiter in Syria. For ISIS. But okay, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, name it, whatever. Same thing. Al Qaeda is the center, but okay we're like overrun by jihadis like nobody's business. so I wanted you guys to listen again, Turkey, as you know, is a Muslim Brotherhood state. Qatar, as you know, is a Muslim Brotherhood state. Now, take a listen to this two well it's three minute clip from Turkey's state public broadcast service on how they're like, oh, Qatar is under pressure by its Gulf neighbors to cut ties with the Muslim Brotherhood. And they brand it as a terrorist organization. The Islamic movement has a long political history in the region. And the U.S. is warning, blacklisting the group, which could lead to instability. Um, Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist organization, should be labeled as such in our state. Take a listen to the propaganda they push so you can understand What's really going on before we get into the American Airlines guy?
1: The Muslim Brotherhood is at the center of the current diplomatic crisis between Qatar and its neighbors. Saudi Arabia, the UAE and Egypt are demanding Qatar cut ties with the Brotherhood and say it's a terrorist organization. But is this really about terrorism or is it about silencing the voice of opposition? To answer this question, let's take a look at who the Brotherhood is. The Muslim Brotherhood was born in Egypt in the 1920s and played a key role in the fight against British colonialism. They remained a voice of opposition against monarchies, ultra and military dictatorships in the Arab world, rallying instead to support a pan-Islamic ideology and bring a more Islam-centric approach to governance. In Algeria, the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood supported the war of independence against French forces and inspired the formation of another party, the Movement for Society of Peace. In Palestine, during the First Intifada of 1987, an affiliate of the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, was born. And after winning democratic elections in 2006, it took control of the Gaza Strip. Members of the group have also been part of governments in Jordan, Bahrain, Kuwait, Libya and Morocco for more than 20 years. In 2011, when popular uprisings kicked off in Tunisia, the brotherhood-inspired group called Al-Nahda rose to power, ending the 23-year reign of Ben Ali. That same year, Egypt's President Mubarak was toppled. And the Freedom and Justice Party, representing the Brotherhood, was elected to Parliament and the Presidency. It was a historic moment for both Egypt and the Muslim Brotherhood, but it didn't last long. Less than a year later, amid growing discontent against the party, the military seized control in 2013 and went after the Muslim Brotherhood locking up its leaders, handing out hundreds of death sentences, taking its TV channels off the air and killing more than a thousand of its supporters in a single day in what is known as the Rabah Massacre. Saudi Arabia and the UAE bankrolled the coup with more than $30 billion in an attempt to weaken the Muslim Brotherhood and stamp out its influence in challenging the legitimacy of their monarchies.
0: Oh, so it's a legit monarchy. (laughs) <laughs> because they're, wait, they're legit monarchies and they were being stamped out. So now we should feel really, really bad that the Muslim Brotherhood that created al Naqta group and Hamas are, you know, it's being crushed. Listen to this. Are you listening to this?
1: As the group is pushed further underground, some of its offshoots have taken up arms and are blamed for attacks on security personnel in Egypt. Despite being outlawed and persecuted for most of its history, the Muslim Brotherhood is now fighting for its survival. Designated a terrorist organization in Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Syria and Russia. But U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson says that's a bad idea. He says the group still has over 5 million members across the Middle East.
0: Rex Tillerson, who was fired because of what he did in Kenya. And branding them terrorists would
1: complicate the security
0: and politics of the region.
2: There are elements of Muslim Brotherhood that have now become part of governments. And those elements, they have done so by renouncing violence and terrorism.
1: But the Saudi-led bloc is still trying to get the group blacklisted across the world and are pressuring Qatar to do the same. So as the stalemate between the Gulf neighbors continues, what will be the future of the Muslim Brotherhood? Is the biggest political movement in the Middle East really a front for terrorism? And will shutting the organization out of the democratic process lead to stability in the region?
0: Oh, so dramatic. The Turks are so upset because they are part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Remember, Erdogan... Trained his, he, his mentor was one of the top leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood. And Qatar and Turkey will not designate the Muslim Brotherhood as a terrorist organization because they fund it. They're funding the schools that are training people to be part of it. They even self-admit that they created these terror cells, but they're the victims. So here is where I wanted to Introduce something to you so you can understand it. Osama bin Laden was trained by our own nation on how to infiltrate nations. He used him and a political group called the Taliban in Afghanistan to declare a jihad against Russia back in the late 80s. Right after the fall of the USSR and help. The Chechenian guerrillas get in and do whatever. And by the way, the Chechnyan leader was Jordanian, but pff, Chechnya or Russia, whatever. Um, yeah, that's just a stipulation, kind of like how Kamala was Indian, but three years later she became African-American. We'll talk about that too later. But anyway, here we are at the point where we understand that Osama Bin Laden was very well-embedded. He had money ties with multiple countries around the world, including our own leaders within our own nation. And he flipped on them. And he knows exactly how to infiltrate nations. Because the one thing that the Muslim Brotherhood mantra has is patience. Patience. Because Hisra is more important That is the most important type of jihad. It is to convert people from within, but also to have your sleepers on hold. The biggest mistake the United States ever made was in the early 90s and late 80s during the Iran-Contra affair. And then, you know, the heading off, you know, with all of uh, when Saddam Hussein um invaded Kuwait, and then we went into Iraq. We brought a lot of these people in as refugees. And a lot of them were naturalized pretty much instantly within like a year or two. These are people that looked up to people like Osama bin Laden. These are people that came to the United States, got jobs, and had kids. Think about it. How many of them right now could be your neighbor... How many of them? It terrorizes you, doesn't it? It's a scary thought. What we saw with this American Airlines mechanic was just the tip of the iceberg. So I wanted to publish this a couple weeks ago, but I thought it would be a lot better rather than me say, ha told you so, and it be buried to let the FBI drop some and see how the mainstream media doesn't really look at what they're talking about. They don't do much investigative work. They just tell you what they're told to tell you. They just tell you what you need to, how do you trust any mainstream media? That includes all channels, okay? All channels. I mean, we saw the hypocrisy, uh, that was present with the whole Justin Trudeau, what do they call it now? Brown face, or what is it? Heavily makeup face. I mean, what, what, what is that? I want you guys to listen to a quick clip before we get into this. Just to understand, how the mainstream media operates.
3: And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility is to, to serve, serve
0: our, our Treasure Valley communities, the El Paso, Las Cruces communities, Eastern Iowa communities,
1: Mid Michigan communities.
0: We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS 4
4: News produces. But,
5: but we are concerned about, about television television. News and one sided news stories
4: plaguing our, country. plaguing our
5: country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. While alarming, some media outlets publish the Saying fake stories without checking facts first.
0: The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become account, all too common on social media. More alarming, some media outlets publish and publish the same fake stories without checking facts, facts first. first. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, some members of media use their
6: platforms to push their own personal biases and agenda to control exactly what
4: people think. And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This
0: This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
4: This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy.
7: This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous.
0: Okay, so who's the scriptwriter guys? We have 50 states and it seems like uh, you know, in every state you'll have how many news stations that are regional or local from the smallest states having something like 15 to the largest having like a hundred. So we're talking, uh, you know, tens of thousands of TV stations locally, right? Locally singing the same song with the same words. And you have to wonder who writes the script. I mean, these are all CNN, CBS, ABC, Fox, Independent, you know, uh, BBC, you name it. They're all saying the same thing. So how do you trust them? Because I'll tell you what, when this came out about this guy, they pushed the story of Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani, right? Who's a 60 year old guy. They said, "Oh, he was just doing all this because he was like disgruntled, you know, with, um, uh, you know, uh, his uh contract, and he wasn't getting enough hours." Let me walk you through this. I've I've published the article. I worked very closely with Haley Kennington because I had made forty eight different. Well, I held forty eight different interviews. I made. Um, punch more calls uh to get more information on this guy in California in Miami and apparently he has ties in Houston Texas so let me walk you through his work history okay um so he apparently came to the United States and um he was a naturalized citizen in 1992 okay he got naturalized 92 he was iraqi that lived in qatar and then came over to the US uh, so he was working, um, concurrently in California for both American Airlines and Alaskan Airlines. In 2007, while he was working for Alaskan Airlines, which is, uh, I think they collab with, um, Delta now. Right? Yeah, they collab with Delta. They're kind of like one in the same. Alani, uh, was called in uh, supposedly to work and he had to do some overtime and he had to install an altimeter um, after he completed his eight-hour shift. So after he did it, he didn't even check to see if it was installed property, properly. And so Alaskan Air told the FAA, um, according to people that we found out in Portland, because that's where it was discovered in Portland, that... He had not only not checked if it was working properly, but the plane he had installed it on that flew from San Francisco to um, Portland, he had installed the wrong altimeter, okay? So that's number one. That's in 2007. In 2007, again, a Pateau... Um, which is a sensor that tells the aircraft speed, and I'll explain it to you so you understand exactly what he did when he got caught this time. It was incorrectly installed. So, again, the FAA launched an investigation, um, and then in 2007, uh, you know, obviously they let him go. They were satisfied with whatever he said in 2007. Again, he sent some, uh, a piece that was unserviceable, meaning like if you can't use it anymore, it's like defected, you pull a tab, right? And you're not allowed to use it. And it's called a heads up guidance system. And he sent that to Seattle and he shouldn't have, you know, on the plane, put it there for them because it was, you know, unserviceable. So that's all in 2007 as an employee. So in 2008, he installed an unserviceable battery on a plane. And it was a faulty battery that was discovered in Seattle when the plane landed by the techs at SeaTac. So the FAA opened up its own investigation. Dude, this flight left SFO with a faulty battery and landed in Seattle, thank God. Because there were people on that plane, of course, and the FAA opened up uh, the investigation. Now he was fired in July 30th uh, on July 30th, 2008, from Alaskan Airlines, where he had worked 10 years. So he started working for them concurrently with American Airlines uh, around 1997-1998. Now, when he was fired, the FAA interviewed him because of his battery install in September of 2008. Now, immediately, Alani filed a lawsuit saying that Alaskan Airlines wrongfully terminated him because he was a Muslim. So he pulled the race card. See, they do that all the time. Oh, you just don't like me because I'm Muslim. It's like, I don't care who you pray to. You're just not a good employee. But here's the thing. His not being a good employee was actually based on the fact that he may indeed be a sleeper. So after he filed this civil suit against Alaskan Airlines in 2008, in December, he receives a notice from the FAA that his tech cert was going to be suspended. Now, in March 2009, his certification was indeed suspended for 30 years, for 30 years, I said, for 30 days. But he was still working for American Airlines while he was undergoing all of this. So anyway. He puts this lawsuit forward saying that he was Muslim, not due to the fact that he was incompetent constantly. Um, and former employees or that may still be working or be retired told us some stuff that will blow your mind. So while he worked at Alaskan Airlines, um, He he worked at it as a second job. His first job was with American Airlines where he was finally certified and promoted and he became a naturalized citizen. So he started working with American Air, then got naturalized, and they certified him, right, with the FAA. Anyway, here's what one employee said. He was lazy and lacked respect for the job. He was supposed to be training a bunch of us, and it seemed like he didn't care if the plane fell or not. It was close to Christmas, and to ease my concern, I said something like, uh, we don't want to be responsible for a new 9-11. He didn't connect up the electronic, right, that helped the pilots see what they can't see. His response was terrifying. How do you know it's not intentional? You're in my country blowing things up. It- that's what Alani told the people he was training and he laughed and said something like, I'm kidding, but I still told my supervisor, the guy said. He kept referring to Americans as ungrateful. So, you know, it was a bit much because he would constantly throw jabs, apparently, from my conversation with him. He would constantly throw jabs saying that, you know, Americans are ungrateful. They're constantly bombing his countries, you know, and, you know, that we're really bad. So when he, when someone like that keeps saying things like that and then he jokes, oh yeah, how do you know I'm not, you know, wiring up the battery or doing this all wrong intentionally? Haha, you're blowing things up in my country. It's, it's, it's a lot. And the guy reiterated to me a few times, I'm not an an islamophobe or anything i'm totally against the muslim ban so this guy's a fluffy guy and he's like look i'm not an islamophobe but he kept saying it so that was concerning and he brought it up to his superiors sit on that for a second while we break and we'll get back to this shortly i'll see you all in just a bit All right, welcome back everyone to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So now we're going to be doing this walkthrough so you guys not only understand uh, what this guy did on that day, but who he really is and what his history is like. Uh, Because you're not getting this from the mainstream media. Because I saw uh, the day after, (laughs) and so coincidentally after speaking to someone that works at NBC, MSNBC put out an article saying, oh, he had a history of being a bad employee but he still worked for American Airlines. That has an exclusive federal contract. If you're flying GOV, you're flying American. So kind of weird, isn't it? Um, So where I was is telling you how a former employee... That is super fluffy. Like he was super snowflake. Um, You know, he was constantly apologizing. I don't mean to sound like an Islamophobe. I'm totally against the Muslim man. He was like, dude, but this guy was constantly saying things like that. And it was scary. So he reported that, and I want to see where are these reports at Alaskan Airlines, because I've contacted their attorneys, I've contacted them, no one got back to me at all, and it's been, you know, over two weeks. So, well, is it over two weeks? I mean, it was the the, the sixth that I got in touch with them. So yeah, it is over two weeks. So anyway, while investigating and, and looking into all these lawsuits, I saw that his attorney actually got him a settlement from Alaskan Airlines after... Alaskan Airlines that requested to file information under seal was denied. So basically, this guy blackmailed them. I'm just letting you know uh, because, uh, you know, they wouldn't put down documents of the FAA in regards to other employees. He was trying to say other people have made mistakes and they weren't fired. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm just saying and I'm pretty sure and I don't fault them for this. That with all these complaints from people that he was training, people that he was working for, cracking jokes about Americans falling out of the sky because they keep bombing his home, you know, uh, might have added to the fact, well, well, you know, you're really making really big mistakes and other people make mistakes maybe because they're dumb, maybe because they actually made a mistake. But the bottom line is you keep making these jabs and we don't know. Is it a deliberate mistake? Are you looking? You know what it looked like to me? And I'm going to tell you straight out. It looked like to me to see how far he could get away with doing things. This is how it looked like to me. Not a lazy guy, but that's how it seemed to me from what I was reading. You know how sometimes when you read an article, you get like um, the, the 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 sense of what it's trying to tell you. If it's love, hate, this, there's an underlying thing. Well, reading all these um, court cases, that's the thing I got. He used this Muslim card. And then he was like, "Yeah, we'll file everybody else's." Then and they're like, "Uh, do we do do we want in public to show how many times mechanics have screwed up? Uh, you know, with our planes, we don't want the public knowing that. That could tank our stock." And I think under that time they were um, uh, working with Delta, if not bought out. I I really don't know what the 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 the, um, the intricacies of that are, but it's somewhere around there. Now, just look. He was arrested on September fifth. And we spoke to several people. Um, One person from Alaskan Airlines, from Alaskan Airlines in the corporate offices, said, we felt that he was deliberately trying to cause harm. We had numerous complaints over the years, but with everyone being sued for discrimination and lots of bigotry going around, we didn't know what to think. Employees would tell us that he'd often describe how 9-11 showed America how much they're hated. It's... It is difficult it is a difficult spot to be in. Imagine how HR felt. Exactly. When the mainstream media is telling you that everyone's just hating on Muslims, kind of like how Omar's like, I was a victim in 9-11. I woke up the next morning and I was a criminal. You know, when they're doing that and they're pushing that and you have a president of the United States that is refusing to call them Islamic extremist terrorists, right? When people, when they'll say things like some people did some things and Muslims knowing that they can use that card. Oh, you're discriminating against me because I pray to Allah. Nobody cares if you play, if you pray to the pasta monster and you're pastafarian. When you're making slime, you know, snide comments on the side, you know, up, oh, yep, Americans should die. Up, oh, look at what they're doing. Everybody hates them and you're causing you're you're making these mistakes. Um how often does something have to happen before it's not a mistake? Now, I'm gonna tell you guys, so in the late 80s when Alani, um, came here, he got a part-time job at Americans and, uh, American Airlines and he worked his way up, right? Um, obviously he was, um, fo- um, fostered into that because there were programs when you take refugees and stuff like that, right? You know how, you can hire someone from another country or a refugee, and then you get paid literally just to employ them. So anyway, he was working a long days, lots of hours, and he was doing this to send money home and eventually be able to bring his um, nephews and nieces to America, according to our sources, because these are the discussions um, that I've had with people that worked with him both at American and Alaskan Airline in California. So many people that I interviewed um told me that um, American Airlines had actually cut back on his hours, so he applied for a job at Alaskan at some point. And so he was working um, with Alaskan Airlines slash Delta because he covered some Delta planes to cover the lack of overtime that he wasn't getting anymore from American. So American wasn't giving overtime hours, so he decided to get another job. And sometimes he would actually have an eight-hour shift at American and literally roll into another shift into Alaskan, so that means he's working 16 hours straight. At American Airlines, a source, um, an employee former or still there, I'm not going to reveal that, uh, said, It's hard, man. You could say, you couldn't say anything. If you did, you were racist. Even us folk of color couldn't say anything. We just wanted to put in our time and get in great retirement. And that was his comment on the fact of, you know, being suspected that he was sabotaging planes in San Francisco to get overtime when American Airlines didn't give him the hours he wanted. So when they started to cut back, he was doing stupid little mistakes, but not mistakes like, oh, wrong battery or, oh, faulty battery or, oh, I'm just going to put an altimeter that's like for, you know, a 737 and a 747, you know, or something like that. Um, so when he got the job with Alaskan airlines, the mechanics and other people working on planes, um, they actually said that they felt safer because he wasn't, you know, there weren't so many little problems that had overtime. Here's what one American airlines current or former employee at SFO said when he worked double shift, like from American to us, Delta, Alaskan, you know, he would take long breaks and say he was praying, but he was really sleeping. He played his religion card very well in both hangers. He played stupid, but he was not. Honestly, I hear he still did stuff like that in Miami, too. He was moved because of reasons, Uh and they were suspicious of him, too. That's why they badgered him about the truck that day. So this was part of a conversation where I was like, well, you know, when they investigated the situation, when the FBI was investigating it, you'll see that in the indictment it says that the other employees in the hangar were asking, him, Why'd you take the truck? Why'd you need the truck? You don't need the truck. Why do you have the truck? They were badgering him because they were suspicious of him, too. So. What we realize right now, and, you know, I'm pretty sure the FBI has also gotten this information, um, and, and and this, remember, this article was written on September 6th, okay, and I ran it today. Um, uh, now, according to um, sources that we have at the FAA uh, that did not interview or themselves take part of reinstating Alani's license, you know, when it was suspended for 30 days, they told us that his license was reinstated on the basis that he had a discrimination lawsuit pending. And if within the next 12 months there was no incident, the probationary reinstatement would be lifted. So because he was in that civil suit with Alaskan airlines, the FAA was like, all right, fine. You appealed your cancellation. As long as you don't have an incident in the next 12 months, uh, you know, we'll lift the probation and it'll be like it never happened. So here's how I'm going to tell you. I know he lied. So, one joke that I do a lot, and only very few people that know me, uh, well, get the end of this. But, um, you know. When someone's like, oh, you know, I like so-and-so or, hey, it's my birthday. If I don't like you much or you made me angry that day, I'll be like, hey, I'm going to buy you tickets with Malaysian Airlines, you know, and that's a joke because, you know, obviously, what have we seen in the past, you know, five years with Malaysian Airlines disappearing planes, crashing planes. Planes that went one way but ended up crashed in another, uh, engine failures, fires, pit toes being covered. So, you know, I look into that stuff because I'm like, how are these planes disappearing and why are they disappearing? So I did a little bit of homework. And for this article, guys, I sat down with friends that have worked in the Air Force um, and that work at airlines and they're uh, they're literally aviation mechanic aficionados to walk me through uh where he had put the styrofoam piece like to explain the whole area and what possibility so i did my homework so now i just want to tell you that after listening to the next few minutes you're gonna feel like a boss because you're gonna like oh yeah i totally know how planes like know how fast they're going and what's going on okay so check this out Alanis testified, right, like in his interview to the FBI, that he didn't want to cause any harm and that he just wanted to ground the plane to get overtime, okay? He even said, um, uh, that, uh, heading up to the flight, that he went up to the flight deck to make sure, uh, that it detected, uh, the ADM issues and, and that would be, you know, to, to check the system issues if they actually would read it, if it would actually say, oh, you know, uh, can it show that something's been tampered with or that it's not uh, working correctly? He said that he did that. But the thing is, he did all that in just a couple of minutes from the camera, which is really weird. Uh, considering that super glue on styrofoam doesn't stick so well, and to super glue onto metal components... Inside the mechanism of the pitot tubes, because pitot tubes, if you look at the article, are these little things that look like little g- mini guns on the side of the plane, right at the nose, right? They're like mini guns, and I'll explain to you what these mini guns do. They have like this little hole; it's a little tube, and so when the plane starts to move, air goes through there, right? And that air goes in, and you have to picture something like a diaphragm inside. So picture a square with like a vent. And then like some balloon in there that goes in and out. So what happens is the air goes in and it pushes and it tells the plane just how fast it's going. So for example, if your pitot tube is blocked on the outside, it may it may not read at all and you can't see a speed, but more than likely it's going to read a speed that's different depending on, on the type of obstruction you have. So... You can get a reading that, you know, you could be driving your plane and it'll say, oh, you're going 20 miles an hour. I'm just saying, okay, it's not miles, we talk knots, but I'm just trying to make this simple, uh, because I understood it, so you can, okay, because I'm not an aviation's mechanic, so when you're driving the plane, the air goes through, and it's like, oh, you're going at 20 miles an hour, if it's working correctly, if it's hindered in some way, it can either show that you're, it's telling you you're going 20, but you're really going 10, Um, and then it can also show even though it's showing you that you're going 20, you're really going 30 so it depends where it's blocked and what's being blocked okay i'm just letting you know so that's the first thing you need to understand so his actions of super gluing black styrofoam onto the line of the plateau so remember little guns outside and then that tube goes inside the plane and guess what because when you're in the air isn't it cold i mean you all anyone that has flown has seen snowflakes on the window of their plane right any anyone that's flown. So what happens is the air is cold. So the minute you turn on your um, airplane, kind of like you do your car, those tubes are heated, heated like hot. And this is why one Malaysian air flight actually, um, you know, turned around and went down because someone had forgotten like little boot covers, like little condoms they put on the front on the outer ones because those heated up and caught fire. So if the outer ones in the air where it's freaking cold caught fire, imagine how hot it is on the inside, right? Super hot, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Well, in his supposed attempt, For overtime, he had a loose pitot tube connection that would be suffice in believing uh, that maybe, you know, he just wanted overtime. But the fact that he super glued black styrofoam on the line... uh, that tube on the inside, which would have caught fire and caused the loss of life of 100 people, that doesn't stand. Like, why would you do that? You could loosen it a little bit so that way there's no connection and then it grounds the flight so you get a few hours so you can retighten it or something, right? Why put black styrofoam? Now, he's got 30 years under his belt working for big airlines, doesn't he? He knows that styrofoam would ignite and catch fire. First of all, just so you know, styrofoam is highly flammable, okay, and considering again like i said with a uh, malaysian air flight from kuala lumpur to um um to kuala lumpur from brisbane australia they issued a pan alert it's like a soft mayday saying oh i got a problem but you know uh, i can still drive the plane i'm not like crashing but their airspeed monitors had failed because the dia the the, the 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 diaphragm wasn't reading it means that the pitot tube is either faulty or not connected properly and remember these pitot tubes were the air comes in. Um the air comes in and it tells them how fast they're going vertically, how they're going and it also tells them um how high they're going too. It like feeds into it with the speed. So speed, vertical speed and the altimeter kind of work together, okay? To read. So this comes all from the air from the pressure coming in. Now in the article I put a a picture of how there were burn holes from the pitot heat On the outside of the plane. And remember, this plane was in the air and it's like super cold, way up, you know, 20,000 feet, right? Super cold. And it still caught fire on the outside because it was hindered. Are you getting this? On the outside. So the fact that, you know, we have styrofoam. And all styrofoam-like materials belong to the plastics family. But the only difference is, is that styrofoam, this is what makes it unique. It's extremely flammable, extremely flammable. So the fact that he put styrofoam on the inner Pateau tube, so imagine outside poteau tube in negative, crispy, cold, you know, air, and less oxygen all the way up at the top, right? So fire needs oxygen. (laughs) Caught fire. Imagine it being on the inside, how hot it is. Again, I'm trying to help you vision this. So not only did he put the styrofoam, but he blocked the vent with the styrofoam. And that's probably what happened. Because when he stuck it on there, uh, like I said, black styrofoam, And super glue chemically would not bond easily. And the fact that he only took less than 10 minutes to complete the whole thing means that it did not stick well. So when the plane charged up and everything warmed up, the glue had not made that connect on the pitot tube. So my assumption, without even being there, um, and from what is being recorded here, indicates that the faultiness wasn't from the loose pitot tube because that usually shows when you're like... Uh, actually on liftoff because it's really hard. It wouldn't show like right away. But what happened was when they ignited it, that could have fallen and it was the vent that showed it had a problem. And that is from the reporting that the pilots did, that it was the vent that indicated that there was a problem in the reading of the altimeter because what it was showing was And get this, it was showing that they were going 10 miles an hour, let's say, but they were static. So what is that telling you? It was telling you that the plane is going faster than it is, right? Even though it wasn't moving, but air was just going in, you know, from maybe wind or whatever. And the vent was showing that they were moving. So imagine if they didn't stop. Imagine if it hadn't completely blocked the vent in just a little bit or something. Or it was like half on or something. That means that the pilot would have lifted off thinking they're going 20 miles. Say they need 20 miles an hour to be able to lift off the plane. They'd be thinking they're at 20 miles an hour to lift off the plane, but they'd actually be going 10. Do you see what I'm saying? It would show them less. And imagine when they're landing, when they know their speed needs to be 20 to land, But because that one is showing them going faster, they lower it, they lower their speed even more. So when they think they're going 20, they, they, it's showing 30, so they're actually doing uh, like 10 because it's showing one over. So they're actually going slower. They could crash that way on, you know, on liftoff and on, and on going down because they'll land too fast and they'll lift too slow. So, You know, and then just fall out of the sky. So that is a problem. So the vent was the one that alerted it. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So it's indicating through the indictment that they wrote up. And the interviews the FBI conducted that his fellow employees were also suspect of why he needed the vehicle and indicated and it was indicated like uh, from two employees on the criminal complaint uh, that was unsealed with his arrest. So. This shows that the FBI and the counterterrorism task force omitted a lot of information from their criminal complaint. I'm telling you this because it was very, um, it looked like paragraphs were missing. (laughs) Okay. Now, the only reason that this was investigated by the counterterrorism task force wasn't because the pilot said, oh, you know, something's loose here. Let's check it out because it wouldn't have been a big deal. The reason it happened is because American Airlines has been awarded a federal contract. So it provides all government transport. So anything like, ooh, battery's low, this is loose, whatever, gets investigated thoroughly. It's not like, oh, yeah, yeah, we fixed it. We're good. We found a piece of styrofoam. No big deal. Let's just go. The FBI gets involved and the counterterrorism task force gets involved because all GOV, senators, congressmen, military, anyone traveling on official government business flies American. If the tickets are booked through, you know, your GOV centers, you know, like the GOV travel sites or whatever, um, and agencies that are just like for active duty, reserve duty, you know, intelligence, Senate, whatever – they're definitely flying American, so because they have special contracts in place. Now, obviously, if it's if it's easier for someone to go Delta or United, it'll happen. But preferably, it's always done through American Airlines because they have that contract. Now, an exclusive source that I found and flexed my Arabic with um, told us that um, he was actually offered a job. Um, that required much less labor uh, than that at uh, Miami International Airport. So the guy actually thought I was Somali. But I, I didn't say I was. I didn't lie to him. He just assumed I was. And he said for Somali, it used to be great uh, Arabic. And I'm like, probably because I'm not Somali, but okay. I didn't say it, though. He said, He was excited when he came back from an event sometime in the spring. He was very excited. He was getting a supervisory position with a bit more money, less hours, and hardly any labor. The man's name was Hazan Shilby, who's very known in our community. He was leaving, so I don't know why he would do that. So he was leaving, supposedly, American Airlines to go to this job that he may have started already in the spring or that he has been doing concurrently or was going to start. Now, he had gone to some uh, care event, and he met a guy named Hassan Shilby who did the hookup for him. <laughs> Coincidentally, Hassan Shilby is the CEO of CARA Florida. Here's the thing. It's alleged that he was a concurrent employee of American Airlines and TSI Holdings. TSI Holdings has an exclusive contract that was awarded under Obama that services all flights from Guantanamo Bay. Was he actually like working for them as well as American Airlines? I mean, he did that before with Alaskan, right? And looking into TSI, and I said TSA, TSI, uh, they seem Japanese. I don't know, but Americans own it. I'm I'm, like confused. Uh, So I don't know. I, I can't see anything. It's the least that I have ever found on a company. So, um, I realized that they offer charter flights for Gitmo through Miami Air. That's what it's called. And, um, here's the thing. We know that a Alanis superglued styrofoam to the internal compartments of the pitot tube. The most likely result would have been uh, that the static vent was blocked, like I said, giving the internal diaphragm that helps measure speed a higher reading. Conversely, the speed would be lower in the flight and during descent would indicate the speed was lower when in fact it was higher. This is probably what saved 150 people on the plane, that it didn't stick because if it was stuck, it would have went up in flames. Now, without knowing anything about avionics and mechanics, you have to understand that it's better that, you know, uh, plane, I guess it would have like blocked on speed or anything. They'd have better chances because they're seasoned pilots, I guess, rather than styrofoam igniting in the compartment, which would have caused an explosion. So this is what it is. Now, the mainstream media has been excusing the behavior, dishing up. Oh, he's just disgruntled. He's this, his care connection, his this, his that. I'll tell you what. If you remember correctly, wasn't it just a couple of months ago that Miami Air flying in from Gitmo to land actually had a crash landing in the water? Do you guys remember that? I'm just saying if he was concurrently working for the two, could could he have been responsible for this? That is what we need to think about. So I'm actually glad that the um, uh, government figured out that there was more to this and he's tied to ISIS. Mm, I would say Al-Qaeda, but ISIS, Al-Qaeda, same thing nowadays, isn't it? So I hope you have a better understanding of what he did because this is radical Islamic terrorism at our door. There's probably tons of them sleeping across the nation that we don't even know about and that is... Very, very scary. I'll see you all just after this short break. Real News. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So now in this second hour, I'm kind of flipping the script, right? I'm going to be talking about domestic stuff. Domestic stuff. And let's start with um, blackface right? or what they want to call brownface or what Daily Beast calls heavy makeup faced. Um, <laughs> I mean, the hypocrisy is so real, like... You know, I just don't understand. Like, he didn't even apologize. And you know who says it perfectly? Um Tucker Carlson. I seriously love him, the way he puts it out. So there's three photos of him wearing blackface. But everyone's calling it brownface because that makes it better, right? Mm. You know, and you know what, to be honest with you, White Chicks, the film where they made themselves white to play the, the role. No big deal. I mean, I don't see it as racist. I mean, so if I wanted to, you know, dress up as, you know, Nat King Cole or something and I put makeup on my face so that I look like her, suddenly I'm racist. I'm just saying, I don't think it's racist at all. But here's the thing. They made the rules. It was Trudeau and the rest of the left glass nation that made the rules, right? Because now we're going to find ourselves in a case of, you know, don't tan because you're trying to appropriate. Ooh, why are you getting so tanned? Are you trying to be Latino? Oh, why are you doing this? Are you trying to be like this? Like, come on, get off it. And had a conversation with a stellar, stellar mind, and it's like melanin appropriation. And you know what? Maybe this is why, indeed, they think Trump is racist, because he tans, right? Orange man bad, because he tans. So let's take a listen to what Tucker has to say.
6: Good evening. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. So the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, got caught wearing blackface, and a lot of people are pretending to be very, very surprised. But are you really surprised? In fact, you probably could have guessed it, actually. It's a little like finding out that your super sensitive brother-in-law, the one who tells you he's a feminist, the one who's always scolding you for your sexism, is in fact hitting on the babysitter. Of course he's hitting on the babysitter. The virtue is always a cover for the sin. That's the key to understanding the modern left. Whatever they're accusing you of doing, they're doing themselves, but more enthusiastically.
0: Or how's this? Whatever random, uh, you know, people are saying that you're doing, they're definitely doing. You may not be doing, but they're like, you're so doing this. You're like this. You're like that. Maybe it's because you're like that. Because if you don't know me and you're saying this about me, kind of like the left is saying all this stuff about the right. We're all Nazis. We're all racist. We're all this. It means that they are. It's called deflection.
6: And that's definitely the story of Justin Trudeau. Like your brother-in-law with the ponytail, Trudeau brags about being a feminist. Use the wrong word in his presence and he'll launch into a self-righteous lecture. Justin Trudeau may be the most sanctimonious head of state on planet Earth. So of course he was leading a secret life as a racist. That's why he's so sanctimonious. So you won't notice. Turns out there are now at least three separate instances of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface. And as he conceded today, there could absolutely be more. You left us with the impression there was only
7: one other incident. And since then, Global News has released a video which seems to show that there was at least a third incident. So exactly how many times have you darkened your skin with makeup in an act that you have yourself described as racist?
0: How many times have you darkened your skin with makeup and called yourself racist? Guys, I know a bunch of high school kids that I see running around in the mall that darken their skin with makeup that shouldn't be wearing makeup and that should learn how to put on makeup uh i should too because i look really pale um but i'm just saying like he said that that's racist but he's done it uh what if i told you that in one of them well let's just take a listen to what he says
7: uh, i uh, shared the uh, moments that i recollected uh, but i recognize that uh, it is something absolutely unacceptable to do uh, and yeah, I, I appreciate calling it makeup, but it was blackface. Uh-huh.
6: Unacceptable. But he did it at least three times, maybe more. How many times have you worn blackface? Probably right around zero. Try not to be judgy here or anything, but even adjusting for youthful indiscretion three times on camera. That's a lot. It's an awful lot, actually. What's going on with Justin Trudeau? Well, it turns out, and he explained this today, that Justin Trudeau suffers from an especially virulent case of something called privilege.
7: I have always acknowledged that I come from a place of privilege, but I now need to acknowledge that that comes with a massive blind spot.
6: Uh-huh. Got that? White privilege is the
0: problem here. Wait, white privilege had him wearing blackface and singing this. Hey! It's like Delia. Oh, Also. Totally white privilege, isn't it? Right. White privilege. That's why he was singing that. Right. White privilege is to blame. Not the fact that he was in character. Not the fact that they're making something racist that may not be racist. I don't think he did it because he's racist. Let's be honest. I don't. You know, but that's what he was singing at one of the things. you know, he was dressed up like a Sikh. He was hanging out with other Sikhs. And he was way darker than the other Sikhs, too. Uh, but I don't think what he did was racist. But, you know, since they say it's racist, it's got to be racist. right? But, <laughs> but now he blames it on his white privilege.
6: That's Trudeau's explanation. If you're not listening carefully, it might sound like Justin Trudeau just took responsibility for what he did. Oh, but no, just the opposite. He transferred it. When Trudeau blames privilege, he's moving responsibility for what he did from himself to the rest of us. In other words, I did something awful because society itself is rotten. Therefore, and this is the key, therefore, I need to keep telling you how to live your life. It's not a confession. It's a justification. And the only people dumb enough to buy it are the news media. Of course, the dumbest people in the world. For example, Don Lamont was deeply impressed.
4: Wow. A leader apologizing. It seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, um, because we have one who doesn't. But he says, you know, he says he didn't think it was racist at the time. Now he knows better. What do you think of that? But I do have to say this before we go. Think about it however you want to think about it. It, it. When someone apologizes... Wow, we we don't we don't often see that here, especially a world leader who's saying I should have known better. And I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, he should have known better. And he's sorry because they made that up again. I don't think it's racist. But, you know, speaking of race, Don Lemon and his, you know, uh, You know, ex-boy toy, I like to say, because, you know, he hit that. Uh Jesse Smollett, and we're going to talk about that. I wanted to first talk about Kamala Harris. And again, appropriation. I want to play a short clip because, you know, kind of like Jussie Smollett. Jesse Smollett says, oh, I hate white people. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he forgets that his father was a five-foot-four white Russian. And his mother was Indian... African. Because his mother is Kamala's sister, who had another mother that was African, just saying.
1: And California's Attorney General Kamala Harris has scripted history as she won the U.S. Senate seat from the state, becoming the first Indian American
0: to achieve this feat. And
4: certainly, you could become the first uh, Indian senator in U.S. history, which would be quite an accomplishment.
0: Not quite. <laughs> Oh, wow. Knock on wood that she's going to be the first Indian American senator. But let's fast forward to three years later. On this Dr. Martin
6: Luther King Jr. Day, Senator Kamala Harris becomes the first African-American to enter the 2020 presidential race. Harris is a freshman Democratic senator from California. She's the second African-American female senator in U.S. history. And before that, she served.
0: Excuse me. So she's Indian American. Three years later, she becomes, I didn't know that Indians were African. Okay. So now we have the left reinventing geography too, but they're used to that. Remember, we had CNN, you know, showing that Iraq was somewhere by Czechoslovakia back then, right? And that Portugal was, you know, in West Africa. And so, yeah, whatever. So here we are. Cultural appropriation lies, 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 lies. Auntie Kamala, like I said in February, is implicated in the Jussie Smollett case. I said it. No one, you know, kind of wanted, you know, I actually was mocked. And I also said that not only is she involved, but so is Cory Booker, but the connection that Kamala has to Jussie Smollett is through Avenatti. So Jussie Smollett, had tons of, um, you know, events like the, what was it called? The Up event or whatever, Upstart, something like that, event about lynching. Remember how I said that Cory Booker and Kamala Harris were co-sponsoring this bill to go against lynching? And then suddenly, Jesse Smollett had a what? A sudden event of lynching, modern-day lynching. Oh, my gosh, where at two... A.M. in the morning in Chicago, he decides he needs to walk to go get a sandwich. And not only does he walk to go get a sandwich, but in Chicago, two white men wearing MAGA hats were screaming MAGA country, right, wrapped a noose around his neck and threw bleach at him. Totally believable in the negative, you know, what was it? Negative 15, negative 20 degree weather. That at 2 a.m. white people would be like, yo, aren't you that guy on Empire? Let me tell you something. If you're a racist, if you're a Nazi, right, you're not watching Empire. So you don't even know who this clown is. Like I watch everything. I couldn't watch Empire because it was so riddled with social justice. I just, uh, it it stopped. Like after the first season, I was like, ugh throw up. I couldn't watch it anywhere. It's so like, uh, you're off my DVR. You're done. Cause I watch everything. I love my shows. Um, so I didn't even know who Jesse Smiley was. Okay. I didn't even know. And I am, you know, and you're gonna be like, well, who are you? Well, I could tell you that I love my shows. And anytime I'm in a car, anytime I'm on a plane, I'm watching my DVR like crazy. I actually record a lot of, you know, series and binge watch them over a weekend. I'm just saying. So anyway, I didn't even know who he was until this happened. But what was weird was is that... Both Kamala and Corey were saying the same thing. Remember when we said that? Oh, look, he got lynched. Oh, my God. And, you know, obviously Don Lemon was the source of all this, making it international news. Because the guy that he might have once tapped, tapped that. He was called him at the hospital. And he was devastated. And you need to tell the police and you need to. It was all staged. All of it. And you know, Chicago's Obama town, right? No one's gonna figure it out, are they? Because, you know, we've got all these people. We got Tina Chen, we got Kim Fox, we got Jesse Jackson, we got all these people, you know, rounded together, the Clintons, the Obamas. I mean, you got Tina Chen, who's Michelle Obama's shadow in that mix texting and pudding, and you're just like, what is going on? Avenatti is the hottest thing since sliced bread when this happened, and Oh, and possibly running for president. <laughs> I can't believe they made that recommendation. So anyway, so Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, you know, tweeted things out. If you remember, Cory Booker first tweeted out the vicious attack on actor Smiley. It was an attempt. Modern day lynching. I am glad he saved. To those in Congress who don't feel the urgency to pass our anti-lynching bill, designating lynching as a federal hate crime, I urge you to pay attention almost boom like within like what was it like an hour two hours three hours Kamala Harris tweets out oh Jesse Smalley is one of the kindest most gentle human beings I know I'm praying for his quick recovery this was an attempted modern day linting no one should have to fear for their life because their sexuality or color of their skin we must confront this hate your nephew man so here's where we go that the police are starting to investigate we're putting in a lot of time and effort turns out, you know, Kim Fox is like chit-chatting with Tina Chen, you know, and Tina Chen is who? Tina Chen is Michelle Obama's ex-shadow. She's, she emails her and says, hi, Kim. I sent an email to your work address, I think, as well. I wanted to give you a call on behalf of Jussie Smollett and family who I know. Oh, so you're representing them. Okay. They have concerns about the investigation. I'm on an 8 a.m. flight to New York City. Please call me before then. I land about 10.15 Chicago time. My cell is blah. Thanks. Text. Oh, my God. This would be a huge victory, says um, Tina Chen. Was it Tina Chen? That's it? Tina Chen. Uh, I understand. I, I, I make no guarantees, but I'm trying. I understand. I appreciate. It. Hey, I hope all is well. I wanted to check in with you about what's happening here when you have a moment. Okay. Are you available to chat now? Chit, 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 chit. So here they are talking, talking about Jesse Smollett and how they're going to be dropping charges against Jesse Smollett after he got busted. So, Tina Chen, who was Michelle Obama's shadow, right, and works very closely with Jesse Jr. and Sr., you know, both of which have gone to jail, by the way. Are they, I think they are actually felons too. They started chit-chatting about what his punishment should be. They all got together. Yeah, this is it. So you have all these people connected. You know who was the lawyer that um, kind of appeared there? Why is his name being left out? Michael Avenatti, dude. Kamala Harris called Michael Avenatti. He got involved. There's communications between him and Kim Fox. Where are they? Why is this not being released? Probably because he's, he's being screwed with Nike as a blackmailer. Maybe this is going to be a wild card to just chuck later because a lot of people are like, oh, what's going on, you know, with, um, with, uh, Ilhan Omar. She's not going to jail. Not yet, guys. Let it be. We need it to be closer to 2020. We don't want this stuff buried, you know, kind of the way CNN and the rest of the news station were like, yeah, okay, so he had blackface three times. He's not racist, but anybody else that does it is, especially if they're conservative. So this is how they work, you guys. They mask it over. So it's all about timing, guys. All about timing. Speaking of racists, let's listen to this exchange with Reverend Al Sharpton that happened. I totally love this back and forth with Gates. Take a listen. So awesome.
7: Uh, The gentleman from uh, Florida. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And Reverend Sharpton, your current MSNBC co-worker, Joe Scarborough, is my former congressman. And when Joe Scarborough served in the Congress, he had quite a bit to say about your contribution to the national discussion. It was in the 106th Congress that Joe Scarborough filed a House Concurrent Resolution 270 entitled Condemning the Racist and Anti-Semitic Views of the Reverend Al Sharpton.
0: Oh, yeah, you know who's talking about, Joe NBC? you know, the one with the dead intern that's now on TV hating anything Trump, that one, yeah. Uh,
7: Mr. Scarborough's resolution began by saying, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as blood-sucking Jews and Jew bastards. So my question to you is: Does Mr. Scarborough's assertion that you said these things is that true, or did you not say those things?
2: They are patently untrue. Uh, I never said that. Okay. Uh, and well, maybe, uh, well, maybe, can maybe, I, I finish gonna, my answer?
7: No, uh, it's actually my time, but you will be able. What well, well, I thought you
2: questions. raised the question. So the next question I relates to Mr. Scarborough's
7: second comment. He says, where Wait, the is the Reverend."
8: Since since aspersions were cast on the witness, the witness will be permitted Absolutely. to
7: answer. No, No, I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman, aspersions weren't cast. I asked, the, it, asked the witness. You asked, was it true that I said committed. that? I, I can't reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman.
8: Witness, you will have your time. The witness will be permitted to answer.
2: You asked me, was that true? And the answer is no, that was not true. And uh, as you know, Mr. Scarborough and I work very closely together. He comes to National Action Network conventions. I think he's a great guy, and we do each other's shows often. Mr. Scarborough
8: also said, excuse me, the uh, gentleman who is the timekeeper will add 30 seconds to Mr. Uh, Gates's time.
7: Joe Scarborough then wrote, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as white interlopers and diamond merchants, have you ever referred to members of the Jewish faith as white interlopers or diamond merchants? No,
2: sir. I, I referred to one in Harlem, an individual who I didn't even know was Jewish, as an interloper and said I should never refer to his race. I said that I was against those that were using apartheid diamonds <clears throat> and when I did a funeral in Crown Heights in ninety one because we were boycotting Oppenheimer and those that were selling diamonds from apartheid
0: South Africa.
2: Thank in you, the Mr. same I'm sermon, I'm
0: trying time. to Mr. now Farberow finish
2: finished, my answer, continues.
0: sir. No, I, I, Am I allowed to finish? Yeah, he should be allowed to finish and explain why he used racial slurs that only he can use, but nobody else. See, he has an excuse to use them. So if I sit around and say, you know, something like the N train smells like rice. Oh, my gosh, you're so racist. That's because all the Asians board it. Yeah, well, they do. And it does smell like rice. And it's not racist. It's like true. It's kind of like saying walking down Green Street in London. All you smell is curry. It's true because all you have is, is uh, Pakistani and Indian businesses. Like, come on, man. This PC is only one sided. Take a listen to his excuses as to telling you why he's allowed to say all this and, you know, how it's okay that he said it.
7: Did you march next to
2: a sign that said? I have no recollection of that. I've watched in uh, many things where there were signs that I did or did not Agree with, Scarborough and, and I uh, uh, and I would say that if I was aware answers. of that, I would have said I I that I would not know. want.
0: Nadler so is having a stroke, the time, by the way.
2: Well, then you shouldn't ask me a question if you don't want an no, answer. I want to know if you said him. You could say yes or no. You so I w- uh, well, I cannot answer, Mr.
0: Oh, you Chairman. Oh, you need to yes explain no why he said, he's said it.
2: He's asking me whether or not. The witness is obviously disrupting the committee. The witness, first of all, this has nothing to do with policing, since he wants to, since he wants to make. The subject, Joe Scarborough and I. Yeah. Then let me answer it. I, yeah, last I know, Joe Scarborough, no, I are members of the police department. or have anything to do with excessive force. But I'm loving to engage this if he lets me finish. what is outrageous. is a matter of opinion. The gentleman controls the time. Mr. Chairman, I ask that I be restored. Gentleman controls the time.
0: Oh my Sir, God! Restore- it's a matter of opinion. What's offensive? Hold on. Let me fast forward here.
2: Referring his hairstyle, I said for him to. if the Jews want to get it
7: on. Tell them to pin their yarmulkes back and come over to my house.
2: No, there was a man named Mordecai Levy who had been charged with some terrorist acts who threatened to march on me and several other activists in New Jersey. And he said he was going to come deal with my hairstyle. And I'm referring to his hairstyle. I said for him to pin it and come on. I was not talking about all Jews. No. No, I said about Mordecai Levy.
7: Have you said, I'm in hell already, I'm in Israel?
2: Yeah, because I had been threatened that, uh, if I came over to one, deal one with
7: a- Well, court, first of all, I
2: believe, in I, I believe that you can deal with the decorum of the Congress, but you cannot disrespect a witness. You cannot answer a question, ask a question and tell the witness he can't answer the we question.
0: Did. Yeah, especially if it's Al Sharpton, but you could do that to Corey Lewandowski and have a rant and say, answer the question. And it's like, but there was no question. Um uh, <laughs> let me just go, um... a little bit further, um... Uh, where is it? I think this one's good.
7: Want to get it on? Tell them to pin their yarmulkes back and come oh, over yeah, to my house. Oh said that.
0: Wait, hold on. Believe
7: in fighting? Well, fight then. Ain't nobody holding you. I'll off the man. We'll off him. Plenty of crackers walking around here tonight.
2: Did you say those words? I do not recall uh, saying I will not march. Translation. I yes. Uh, I think that you're referring to, and I'm not sure, but I think you're referring to when I was dealing with some people that said that they don't and that they're going to off people. And I told them there are plenty of people walking around that they call the name. They're not offing anybody because I felt that they were just trying to disrupt our asking you, people Sharpton, to march. So in the context of I was I was Trump quoting, Trump, as Trump, I said, I'm I'm, I was I'm, quoting, as I said, the reference made. Okay made that was wrong, I have clearly said that we should not make bigoted statements, including me. I also think that to have you distort, made I think have you that made also
4: to
7: distort, can ask, you can ask all the questions the you want, yield?
2: but I'm going to I answer to the question. The
7: I think when you call Greek homos, when you talk about white crackers, those are bigoted no, statements.
0: Okay, I- let's be straight, right? Greeks were homos. The biggest, let's talk homosexuality, I'm telling you this flat out, it's Britain. They have the most homosexuals in all of Europe. I'm just going to put it out there. So it's not the Spaniards, the Portuguese, or the Greeks, but he likes to call Greeks homos.
2: I I, I think I made it clear that I was quoting what somebody said, yelling and getting upset is beneath your office. You should calm down.
8: Time is the gentleman's.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and I would note these are highly relevant to the issues that we're facing. Reverend Sharpton has come before the House Judiciary Committee as, me, a, pur- clock should be running. as a purported expert When's on talking? policing, and yet his bigoted statements undermine the bipartisan work we should be doing to ensure that all citizens are able to come together and have safe communities. Point of uh, order, Mr. Now, Chairman, how is this? Is remain? Point,
8: of order? point of order. Although the gentleman's comments may be obnoxious, although they may object
7: to that point of order that is an
8: improper
0: character oh my god al shout comments are obnoxious i want a conservative there and i want nadler to call him obnoxious when he starts putting out racial slurs that he might have said before something that might be construed as racist because let me tell you something the majority of the black community talks like that they do and and so do whites so do asians you know it's a Culture thing, but he's obnoxious. Everyone else who is not pigmented is racist. The double standard, guys. Oh my gosh! Right after the break, we're getting into Horowitz. Man, I'm really tired of this white privilege racist card. You know, nobody can talk about racism unless they have, you know, extra melanin or, you know <laughs> our lefties that call people by pronouns. Um you know, it's pretty incredible. Uh, guys, I, I told you that I have relatives visiting right from England. I have my sister-in-law and her husband. And it's pretty incredible the impression they have over there for our president and what they're seeing here. They're seeing a job market. Uh He saw that... um My daughter, she's getting a present when she gets back uh, from uh, her training, when she comes back home for Christmas. And it's a 1974 GMC Long Bed Pickup. Right. How cool. Right. And so we just got that one and it is amazing. It only had like 90,000 miles. That's pretty awesome for 1974. Right. Um, I'm hoping that I can uh, muster up uh, the fiscal angle of getting it repainted, a nice, sexy, black, sparkly, black color or something. But anyway, when we were talking about it, he was like, whoa, these are cheap. And I was like, yeah, you can buy some here. And it only costs about two grand to ship it over to England. And then he did the math. Do you know that they're paying around eight and a half dollars per gallon for gas? And yet we're complaining for two dollars, two dollars and fifty. And I was thinking, damn, they don't know what's going on here. When they saw the job market, we have more jobs than we do people unemployed right now. And they're just like, he's really done a lot. You guys have a lot. We're thinking that, you know, people don't have things and it's like this. It's like, it's totally not. And mind you, they're going to go to Minneapolis. I already told them you better be careful. Cause you're, you look like lock stock and barrel, you know, your typical East Londoner with the shaved head, total Brit. And I told my brother, in law <laughs> you know, gotta be careful where you go to Minneapolis. Cause I want him to go to a Viking. I want him to go to an NFL game. Like, uh, He did baseball. I want them to experience American football. He also, I just wanted to say on culture wise, right? How they see us. They thought everything was like, you know, different. He was like, I can't believe I went to a game and it's like fans from both the New York Mets and the Colorado Rockies just hanging out with each other. And it was all family oriented. It was a great spirit. It was great. You were just watching a game that doesn't happen in Europe. Guys, people beat each other up. I am a huge soccer fan. And anytime I would go to West Ham game or, um, Ajax or, you know. Real Madrid, and then Greece's team, AEK, that I support. There's like they have chain link fences over the 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 bleachers, so people don't throw stuff at the other bleachers. So he was just like, "Wow, this is really great place." And I, I say that all the time to people, "This is a great place." Yeah, we're a little bit more modest. We don't show booby on TV, uh, you know, like they do overseas. Uh, you know, we are not that great in music. No offense, you know. I love Europe. European uh, derived music, you know, from French singers, Middle Eastern, uh, you know, I guess, the, you know, maybe that's just my cup of tea, okay? But And fashion, we're like way behind. Um, you know, you could spot an American because they wear sliders with socks everywhere and, and fanny packs. <clears throat> but, um, you know, they see a different picture than what their news is painting. And I can't believe that they didn't even know that the reason that Brexit is stalled is not about borders, but because they want the UK. I was like, here's the document. He was like, why don't they tell us this? Yeah, because they don't want to. And this is just how biased it is. There, uh, he also told me that they're having uh, talks about creating like regulation for knives. So when you go buy a a knife, I guess, to go chop vegetables in your house, they're gonna <laughs> be running background checks to see if you're allowed to chop vegetables in your house. It's really sad. And I'm actually taking them to a gun range, so they're gonna be shooting guns because you know they can't have guns there. And they were kind of, you know, whoa, you have guns in the house and. You know, my youngest was like, of course, And aren't you scared? No. Like, I'm going to be 14 next year. So, you know, if mom wants to go somewhere, she could totally leave me by myself. I mean, in North Dakota, you can leave your kid at 10, I think, by themselves. But I don't. I'm a freaky mom. Even if I have home security, she's like, I'll just go and, you know, uh, hide, you know, where we have the guns and uh, make a phone call. We have an emergency phone that is like a mirror SIM in an emergency room. This is the New York coming out and you train well and you do well. He's like what if heated discussions happen and people have guns? Well, they don't shoot. That's it. Responsible gun owners don't shoot. Now let's get into Horowitz because what's incredible that I um that uh the media didn't really talk about it much. Um, it didn't talk about it much. Uh, they totally skirted over. And you know what else is under underreported? The fact that Taliban negotiators were talking with CBS prior to the talks that fell through with President Trump. And I'm going to tell you something. If this is just me saying it. And it's just my opinion. But I can almost feel like they were involved in this whole attack to, to to, you know, make this whole plan go tits up. I just want to play one minute clip before we get into the OIG report of CBS and how they were talking about speaking with the Taliban guy.
2: The
4: negotiators met in Qatar Thursday for peace talks aimed at ending America's longest war. Imtiaz Tayyab sat down with the Taliban's top spokesman who
0: insists that the group wants peace.
4: We are here on the ninth round of talks between the Taliban and the U.S. Many hope this is the last round and that you will come with some sort of agreement. But when two U.S. soldiers die on the eve of those talks, certainly that has an impact on how you move forward, Don't
7: Yes, I, I, I think it should have a positive impact.
1: A positive that,
7: impact.
2: Yes, that it is very necessary to put
0: an end to, to the war. Because if the war continues, there will be bloodshed. So he's saying, listen to this, that if you don't do something, then this war is continuing and we will continue this bloodshed. I just wanted to make that clear to you guys. And this is why I think that they maybe were involved in this. So I just wanted to play um, a short Hannity clip about DOJ IG Horowitz and what he said on the Hill. And then we're going to go into more specific ones. And listen carefully because sometimes you know they always tell you what they're doing and they always tell you what's coming but for some reason people have been trained not to really listen we're just hearing take a listen
9: hey inspector general michael horowitz now today horowitz in fact appeared on capitol hill and where he faced questions from republican lawmakers about the unethical conduct of mr super patriot himself jim comey Now, this was the IG's first public testimony since he issued that unprecedented rebuke of the fired FBI director in a report solely focused on one small issue, Comey's illicit leaking. And in that report, Horowitz noted that the fired FBI director set a dangerous example for everyone in the FBI. And today, Horowitz doubled down on this damning accusation. He explained that the Office of the Inspector General was concerned that Comey's actions, will set a troubling precedent. And as I have said before, this is just the beginning for Jim Comey, super patriot. This is the tip of the iceberg. This is the low-hanging fruit. Comey has escaped charges so far, but Horowitz, he's just getting started. Let's see what happens. Now, keep in mind, the most damning evidence of Comey's rampant abuse of power stems from two issues that Horowitz was unable to discuss today. That includes the Horowitz investigation into the FISA abuse, and then later the Durham Bar investigation into the origins of the Russia witch hunt.
0: So, okay, so he couldn't talk about it, but I want you to listen to what Representative Gohmert said. Take a listen.
5: There has been a massive amount of bias documented by you in your investigation. Uh, you, we, You've concluded with recommendations that appear to just be more policies of the same policies it, with the fbi the doj already had you you understood it was already against fbi doj policy to let bias come into play in these investigations correct absolutely Well, uh, you've made references in your report even quoted from unnamed but numbered prosecutors and agents uh... have you given us the names of those individuals Um so we have a request for them and um, we are. Uh, so you haven't given us the names, and now you what? can't decide whether you're going
4: to give them to us. Not, well, let me be clear. Now, we we engaged the committee on this. We went out, went to the FBI. The okay, FBI well, raised well, the
5: concern. The answer is no. You haven't given them to us. So let me just tell you, we're here because prosecutors and agents at the doj have been biased and it may have and some of us believe you've laid out a case that bias did affect what was going on and then you come in here and say we're going to number these people we're not going to let you know who they are but let me ask you this have you checked to see what normally wouldn't matter how they voted in a presidential election except when you're investigating a nominee or a president uh, Do you know how they voted? Did they donate money to either of the candidates?
4: I have no idea how they voted, and I don't uh, have an idea. You're
5: bringing this investment. Okay, let me just
0: tell you something. So uh, what he's pushing for is, like, why don't we have their names? Why don't we have this? And he's not saying anything. He's like, yeah, we got a request. Here's the thing. They're probably under a sealed indictment they're probably undergoing grand jury because if they were involved in biased speech and actions then obviously they were involved in this origin of the Russia investigation which means they broke a lot of laws. Listen to what Horowitz is saying and how he's responding. It's like, so you won't give, you don't know how they voted or if they don't, he doesn't. That's not his job. His job was to point out the bias but he also knows that there's an. there are ongoing tons of grand juries around the nation. How many of y'all have gotten jury duty notices? And he'll be like, "Ah, oh, it's in my state." Doesn't mean anything. Your state can be undergoing a secret sealed, you know, case—one of those sealed cases for, um, you know, one of the FBI agents or the Attorney General of, um, I'm just saying, California or, uh, you know, Governor Newsom or you know, the Attorney General of Minnesota or the Attorney General of North Dakota. It could be in any state because it's not going to be in their state. You better believe that. So there is a lot going on.
5: Investigation in here based on and are are utilizing opinions and information provided by prosecutors and agents who may be just as biased as the people that we're investigating. We just don't know because we hadn't seen their texts, We hadn't seen their emails. Normally, if if back putting back on my uh, my felony judge hat, uh, if. A jury is going to make a decision on guilt or innocence of a felony of, uh, say, a presidential nominee. I'm going to let them ask the jury panel, did you vote for this person? Did you give money to this person? Do you have a bumper sticker for this person? Did you put a, a sign in their yard? Did you talk this person up? And yet you're coming in here. You don't know if these people you were relying on actually had any biases like the very ones you were investigating. You know, that the people- what
0: he's saying is the people that were giving you this information, were they biased themselves? Were they in on this too? Did they obfuscate things? Did you check to see that the people that are investigating under your watch are free and clear? Which is a very, very good argument to have, Mr. Gomert. So let me just fast forward quickly to the next portion
5: hold on the case or the doj did and yet they don't put they don't use that leverage they don't treat him like they did um manafort or any of these other people the doj had leverage and this is where bias came into play they didn't go after him uh you said the ssa told us he believed Combeta should have been charged with false statements yet nobody was nobody charged him and why? Because bias played a role. I understand when you have an investigation, you like to give something a little something to both sides, makes you feel good. You gave us hundreds of pages of bias. but the conclusion was it was just i 'm sorry whether it was subconscious or conscious, you had a little throwaway to go to the Democrats. But the fact is bias is all the way through this, and I 'm sorry that you were not able to see that with what is very obvious from your evidence. I yield back.
4: Gentleman's time has expired. The gentleman from New York, Mr. And Jeffries, is recognized. Is, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jeremy, would you like I just, to respond, Mr. Charles? I'll just finish the, um, on the identity issue just so the record's clear on that? Um, we were asked to, uh, to the, when we write a report, we obviously with the Privacy Act and the other laws Congress has in place and who we can speak to and who we can't. That's the first step we do here much like what we lay out here with the criticisms of folks who don't fo- who didn't follow the rules and the norms and law, we followed that. We then got the committee's request, um, consistent with um, our support for transparency. We would be supportive of getting the committee that information. The FBI interposed an objection because these individuals work on and have worked on counterintelligence matters that there might be a security or safety issue. That's what we've talked to the committee about. We're happy to facilitate that issue with the committee and the FBI.
0: Meaning that they've worked covertly with foreign governments. (laughs) So there goes that. Now let's move along to what uh, Horowitz is saying here.
4: Empowering FBI directors or frankly any FBI employee or other law enforcement official with the authority to decide that they're not going to follow established norms and procedures because in their view, they've made a judgment that the individuals they're dealing with can't be trusted.
5: So the fact that he was in the highest position of the FBI uh, would would add to your level of concern. Correct. Um, now you, you actually uh, referred uh, criminal pro-
4: prosecution of the Department of Justice for Comey, correct? We're required by the IG Act to send information that we've identified that could plausibly be criminal to the department and we've... That's pretty that. monumental. Do you know of any FBI director who in the past has ever had a criminal prosecution? I referral? wouldn't know as I sit here today. Or any other head of any federal agency? Um, I do, actually, so okay. I, but I'll keep that. All right. And in, in the same type of referral
5: applied to McCabe as as well. Right.
4: The IG IG Act requires me to expeditiously report to the Attorney General when I see evidence that could be considered criminal, and we follow the law. Okay. Thank you very much.
8: I thank the gentleman. The gentleman from Maryland, Mr. Raskin, is recognized for his five minutes. Mr. Chairman, thank you. Inspector General Horowitz, the committee is investigating efforts by the Department of Education to interfere with the integrity of its Inspector General office and its operations on December 17th last year education committee chairman Bobby Scott requested that the IG examine at education at the department of education examine the department's decision to restore recognition of the accreditor for several failed for-profit universities and the education department was apparently unhappy with the IG's subsequent decision to conduct this investigation the leadership was apparently so perturbed and threatened by the IG investigation that they tried to shut it down on January third of two thousand and nineteen. Deputy Secretary of Education Mitchell Zeiss wrote a letter to the acting Inspector General Sandra Bruce asking her to drop the investigation and if she refused, demanding that she change its scope by having it take a, a deeper historical dive into the Obama administration, when Ms. Bruce responded to the department's request uh, naturally by asserting her institutional independence as the inspector general, the deputy secretary ordered her to step down from the position. The department apparently planned to replace um, her as an independent IG with an agency insider, the deputy general counsel currently at the department. Were these actions by the Department of Education appropriate
4: um, no we were I was very concerned about it when I heard about it from acting IG Bruce and I worked with her to address the issue and which successfully
8: occurred have we seen similar kinds of assaults on the independence and integrity of inspector generals and other departments
4: um, frankly over time there have been as I mentioned
0: so let me tell you something. This is key. So there's an open OIG investigation into universities that are for profit. Now, this woman overstepped by saying, well, why are you looking at now? Why don't you look at the ones during the Obama administration? Why are you only looking now? Which is a comment because most of the atrocities happened during the Obama administration because here's the thing they're not only investigating about these for-profit things and and uh the way they raise money and the way they place people and how they take students and what they do and how much money they're making how many title funds they're being awarded but they're also seeing how the government is manipulating positions from sides of U.S. attorneys from attorney generals and how they penetrate and they violate laws of FERPA etc cetera, etc cetera, that the Obama administration had executed so in one sense she was wrong to do that you can't tell an independent counsel what to do and if they start at 2019 they're going to work back they can't work forward so it's not like under the Trump administration Trump was like yeah you're going to put that kid in Yale you're going to put that kid in Harvard it was all under Obama where you know Things like David Hogg go to Harvard.
4: In my opening, it's a perpetual challenge for us. Um, agencies always, aren't always enamored with our oversight.
0: Okay, now let's skip to Jim Jordan. Here we go.
4: He did it perfectly. Mr. Jordan, did you wish to be recognized?
3: Unless the ranking member wanted to go. Uh, he's deferring to you. Okay. No, thank you, Mr. Chairman. <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Horwitz, let me pick up right where the gentleman from Florida was. And I appreciate the letter you sent to uh, Chairman and Ranking Member last Friday on the upcoming FISA report that is now at, with the Attorney General. Um, but let me let me go first to what Mr. Stubbe just talked about. Have you been asked to testify uh, by, the chairman, uh, by Chairman Cummings or Chairman Nadler about the, the Comey IG report you released three weeks ago? Um, no, I'm not. Have you been approached at all by the, the chairman of those respective committees?
4: Personally, I have not. I can check with anybody else in my organization, but I'm not aware of any. And they, they've been asked you about it?
3: Oh,
4: I'm sure they've asked about it.
3: But they, I, I mean, sorry, sorry, about, about scheduling about a about hearing. Ask about you testifying and answering questions about that specific report.
4: About a hearing, I don't no believe hearing? there have been discussions.
3: Have you had any discussions with Chairman Cummings or Chairman Nadler about the upcoming Pfizer report, particularly subsequent to this letter, or even before this letter, um, about the FISA report when you might testify in front of either committee? Um,
4: we haven't had, to my knowledge, discussions about.
0: Uh, That's super funny, isn't it, right? So the, the, the report comes out on Comey and they don't want to ask him any questions. And now they know that there's a FISA coming. They don't even want to ask questions there either. Isn't that a little bit weird? Um, testimony
4: or. Or a hearing. But had questioning about the report and the timing, but not about.
3: I the think report. in your in your letter you point out you talked to uh, over, looked uh, over a hundred interviews, over a million records your your team examined. Uh, you spent a lot of time on this report. This is pretty significant. You would anticipate testifying in front of both the House Oversight Committee, which has jurisdiction over the Inspector Generals, mm-hmm. and the House Judiciary Committee. Is that right?
4: Um, I guess on I would say it's. T- any of my reports, I always um, am available and willing to testify. Um, I'm not sure I'd want to uh, advocate for being in four hearings, two here and two on the Senate side. So,
3: well, we combined them last year, uh, a year and a half ago. Yes. On one, we, we did that. So all I know is I think, that as, as Mr. Stuby said, this is important information, and frankly the American people would like to see it. Let me go, if I could, to um, – the recent IG report about Mr. Comey's leaked uh, leaked memos, and I want to I want to read from it. I'm, I'm talking about on page 17 of your report, January 7, 2017, memo number one. Mm-hmm. And you say Comey first uh, uh, Comey's first one-on-one meeting one-on-one meeting with President Trump occurred on January 6, 2017. Is that right? That's right. And before briefing President, I'm reading from your report. Before brief- briefing President-elect Trump, Mr. Comey met with senior leaders at the FBI, Jim Reibey. Mm-hmm. Andy McCabe, Jim Baker, and supervisors of the FBI's investigation. Is that right?
4: Again, I don't have it in front of me, but that's my... Yeah,
3: so he has a pre-meeting. They're going to go up to brief President-elect Trump, right. January 6, 2017, so it's President-elect Trump at the time. They have a pre-meeting to figure out what how this is going to go. And actually, even more of a pre-meeting they have with Mr. Clapper and Mr. Brennan, to figure out how exactly the briefing for the president-elect is going to happen. Is that right? And who's going to do it? And who's going to do what? Right. Right. And they break it into two parts. All of them brief the president-elect on general assessment, Mm -hmm. uh, intelligence assessment, the ICA. And then they all leave and Mr. Comey sits down with the president. Is that right? Um, That's my recollection, yes. Um, So Mr. Comey sits down with president-elect Trump and talks to him about what?
4: Um, again, I don't have the report in front of me, but my recollection is what we were told is it's about the, what has come to be known as the salacious and unverified reporting about, um, certain events in
0: Moscow. Wait a minute. Did the IG just say it's salacious and unverified reporting. Woo, 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 woo. Bombshell right here. Salacious and unverified reporting. What is that telling you when the IG says it? it? means that it has no leg to stand on. How did they get the FISA warrant? Guys, this is about to go boom, boom, boom. We are going to have a part A. And I don't want to see this come down till like 2020. I tell you we want this in 2020. It will annihilate anything the democrats are trying to do anything it railroads everything because they did all this so just so you guys know salacious unverified document that is how the inspector general referred to the dossier the dossier that not only got the first warrant issued but got a a subsequent three renewals, salacious and unverified. There you go. There's your boom. That's all you need to know. Everything else is just telling us what we already know. This is something you didn't, which is they know for a fact that this was salacious and unverified, which means they're going to be going to jail, but it's not going to be Gipmo. We got some new hot spots that we're going to be moving them to. Too bad it can't be Greenland. On that note, guys, I want to wish you a great weekend. Uh, God bless and stay diligent and firm. Let's see if they're going to let any aliens out this weekend. See you Monday.